We've recently seen European gas prices hitting stunning lows that we haven't seen since 10 years ago. And as we've been thinking about how to cover these really low European gas prices uh, in our team, it got us thinking, what was the market like 10 years ago compared to now? And what changes have we seen on a, on a market level, as well as on the level of how do we report about uh, things and what have the changes been there? I'm Miriam Sears, and I'm taking you into the newsroom. And I've got uh, Ed Cox here with us today and Tom Rogers. Uh, Tom, I guess, is our kind of NBP gas expert um, and deputy editor of our uh, fortnightly gas report. And Ed, uh, you're uh, in charge of our LNG offering. I am, yes. Nice to be here. <laughs> and we are basically pulled you in because you are, have also been around at ISIS for 10 years, so... You have so memories. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I was trying to think of a polite way to <laughs> to say that. Experienced. Experienced, exactly. Experienced. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I thought it would be really good uh, or really interesting to just chat about uh, what's been happening this year compared to other years, um, and hear from you both about what's the, the differences in in how we're by doing things. So maybe just before we start off uh, talking about these big differences, let's just set the scene for for people listening into this podcast. Um, Tom, what's been happening in terms of European gas prices? Why are they so low at the moment? Uh, well, the very short answer is, is a sort of a global glut of LNG, a lot of which has come to Europe, more so than we've had in a very long time. Meanwhile, Traditional pipeline supply routes have remained strong, similar levels to last year. So it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's a, a huge amount of supply around, and that's had a massive, massive bearish, bearish effect mm. on prices this year. Yep. Long story short. Indeed. And Ed, can you cast your mind back to ten years ago and uh, and and give us a bit of a glimpse into what was happening ten years well, ago? I can, and <clears throat> it makes me think actually two thousand eight because I was covering petrochemical markets then and I was just moving to European gas. Mm-hmm. I do remember that summer well because oil was $140 and petrochemical producers often moan about their upstream costs and they were very unhappy. Mm-hmm. It, it did feel like something was just going to give. Mm-hmm. And you know, walking down the street near the office, interest rates were 6 or 7% on your savings, um, uh, which was good. But then everything just crashed, you know, and it was it was quite dramatic in the office. The Lehman, Lehman's Bank went bust in September 2008. You mm-hmm. know, it led to banks exiting energy markets and European gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a it was a dramatic time. Um, we saw prices absolutely collapse. Then in 2009, uh, from a reporting perspective, you know, there there were still liquid markets trading in Europe. We still had a reasonable amount of data provision, not not the same that we have now. But it was it was very volatile. Um, even our relatively small team compared to now, and less sophisticated team, I would say. You know, we we were we were very close to the market, and we were seeing things like the front the front winter at the MBP was trading below the following summer, which had never happened before hmm. because the market was so weak, mm. and oil was fell by hundred dollars. Um, so it was it was a good time. It was a good time to be in there following it, and it did feel like things were 
changing. Um, but it all gets a bit blurred because, you know, not long after that, oil prices started going back up again. Mm. And, and they went up, you know, then they did go back towards 17 and $100. And my memories of, of going out to events then and the years after was very much, you know, this has got to change the way contract gas in Europe is bought and sold. It can't be linked to oil. It has to be linked to the hub price. Mm. Um, and that was really you know, Gazprom holding their position strong, European buyers getting up, the CEOs of the big German utilities saying things have to change. And so it was a good time. It was, it was a good time to be reporting on it. Um, uh, but just that summer of 2008 into 2009 was, it stands out very clearly in a way that the years before that and after don't really for, for the reasons I explained. Yeah, that's really interesting actually. I've been at ISIS for five years and I, I guess have been looking at how the markets developed and more contracts are linked to hub prices rather than oil prices but i think in my limited window of energy markets just kind of attributed that to the development of hub hubs in in europe and how how they're getting much more sophisticated so it just makes more sense whereas actually there's a wider context of um what was happening in oil prices 10 years ago yeah, I mean, still in my head, it, it's kind of almost <clears throat> the year zero in some ways because European gas demand's never got back to where it was then. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the charts, that was the high. And then mm. obviously now we're in a position where we're moving more towards renewables, but mm. gas demand has recovered um, a little bit. <clears throat> so in, in that respect, it damaged European gas markets. Um, that was also a time when there was a lot of new LNG coming in. As Tom mentioned, even back then, yeah. this was just the start of the Southwick Terminal in the UK. Mm. And we didn't have we didn't have the tools that we have today to see how much LNG is coming into Europe. We didn't have LNG Edge. Um, there were more kind of basic tools to track vessels. But that was a time where a lot of Qatari volume that was meant to go to the US started up mm. and came to Europe. So yeah. similar to now in terms of coming to the UK, and that really hit hub prices. Mm. Um, but you'd have to call around traders and say, oh, how many vessels are coming to the UK? You couldn't see it on the screen the same way. And so that had an impact on pricing as well. So it was a little bit harder to get a global view that we can now. And that certainly affected MBP pricing. Mm. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it did. So in other ways, the move away from all indexation supported hub trade, although it, the financial crash hit gas demand so it, it was a mixture complex mixture at the time yeah so you've, you've you mentioned just then uh like we had a smaller team and uh the tools were less sophisticated maybe that were available do you, can you give us a bit of a um can you describe what what isis was doing back then what the team was what it looked like and how we were working well uh, as you'd be aware we were we've only just moved to our new office now in Bishopsgate so we were in Hoban it was a uh, uh, the team when I moved there 2008 was about 20 staff and now it must be well over 100 I would assume in this yeah. office yeah. it's a good team of journalists but if you look at the ESGM report there the gas report um, back then we still listed all our trade sources which predominantly we got down the phone the trade list of trades mm-hmm. um, rather than being electronically submitted mm. um, or on the way in which we receive them now um, if you were to do that now with the amount of volume going through like TTF it would probably take about 20 pages of the report now <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was long enough back then so we wouldn't we wouldn't, wouldn't want to go back there no. but I mean yeah just there were, there were not as many markets trading mm. certainly you know 
southern central eastern europe was at an earlier stage um i think we had we had good journalist endeavors i mean I, i'm i may be an old generation but one of my colleagues back then liz who was covering russian markets you know it's not much longer ago than that she used to go down to the library and read russian newspapers that was her new search back then wow um, yeah the generation before that um but you know even back then the national grid was very active i was covering the mbp you had real-time supply data storage mm -hmm. data i mean it, it was still a pretty sophisticated market and now i'm looking at global lng you know we'd love to have that level of data globally yeah. but uh, that's only the case in a handful of markets outside Europe so things haven't changed so much on a global basis but I guess as Tom will attest in, in Europe things have become even more transparent at a European level since then. Yeah I mean there are regulations enforcing <laughs> uh, the transparency. Yeah no, exactly no I mean it's the proliferation, proliferation of that sort of MBP model outwards onto Europe through the implementation of the primarily the third energy package with you know limited success depending on where you go the big success being as we mentioned before what happened to the Dutch TTF which has supplanted the UK market as the biggest trading hub and mm -hmm. is the amount of volume that's going through there is uh, way bigger than anything the MBP has ever done at this point mm -hmm. um, and other places like Germany and Italy and, and France and increasingly places like Spain um, are catching up yeah so it's uh, yeah and Tom, uh, you cover the MVP today. Um, what sorts of data or tools do you have at your fingertips that maybe we wouldn't have had back in 2009? I think to mentioning in terms of the trade data we're getting, we're getting sort of regular, as opposed to a phone call with one or two people going through, it's, it's thousands of contracts um, throughout the day that we're having, we've got visibility on. So that sort of, this, the end of day is still a big part of the business, um, but we're able to have visibility on what the markets in terms of pricing is doing through most of the day from, you know, when they start trading at like six in the morning mm. until, until, gone, until gone four o'clock. Um, having an idea on like wider European fundamentals, because I mean, at this point it's kind of one market. Um, mm. You know, we, we've got data on Ukrainian storage now which you know yeah. would have been unheard of hmm. 10 years ago or even three years ago right exactly um so yeah i think it's just it's just a, it's emphasizing the point that 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 model of you know uh, real-time data on flows and stocks and it's just sort of spread out over, over the continent and there's still a long way to go to maybe get somewhere close to places like maybe in the us mm. where it's even more transparency and more liquidity um but yeah, it's come a long way, even in the five years that I've been here. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, just thinking about LNG, the interesting thing is obviously, you know, there isn't the transparency um, or the requirement for transparency from a lot of LNG <laughs> sellers and buyers. But what has also developed is the technology around communication. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at our team now in Singapore, you know, you look at the use of WeChat mm. in China, WhatsApp. Um, obviously, there are various online chat mechanisms as well. Um, like Yahoo, rest in peace. Like famous, rest in peace. Famous Yahoo. But, yeah. Or, you know, it better than Yahoo. But so the, the, there's a speed of contact in the market, mm. and but, but not through one, but very, very diverse, mm. very mixed. You know, our guys there will have maybe five or six different ways of contacting people now. Um, 
And that information gets passed around the market really quickly. Mm. You see, particularly in China, the way that there's just so much going out on, on, on WeChat. Um, but the fundamental data behind that hasn't changed a huge amount. I mean, obviously, like LNG Edge that we're putting out there does give transparency about where cargoes are going to. But, you know, the fundamental drivers that you can see in Europe, which you can't see elsewhere, um, th that that hasn't necessarily developed, whereas the, just the means of communication has speeded up so much. So it's interesting to see things are evolving at different rates. Mm -hmm. It's easy, easy to communicate now and faster, but there's still a limited pool of people you can speak to to get that information. You can't depend on it online the way you can in Europe. So it's, 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 it's in, in LNG is really more of an old fashioned mm -hmm. kind of market to cover than, than some of the more, you say, commoditized yeah. commodities. And the, the type of people, especially in Europe, has really changed in terms of who you can or are able to speak to, I imagine. Even when, you know, when I started and when you were starting off, there was a lot of involvement from a lot of the majors, especially in the North Sea, in terms of their willingness to 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 give data and uh, and comment on the market, which was primarily at least in the early days, was because there wasn't a market, so they were very interested in market making. Mm. And now that we have mature, liberalised markets, their their sort of their view on that has shifted. But at the same time, the broader liberalisation has seen a lot more new new entrants coming coming up across Europe um, and so while those players are still big players in terms of uh, liquidity going out on the far curve in terms of our data we've had to really branch out and uh, capture a much wider view of what's going in the market and that's expressed through the number of different types of companies that we're speaking to. Yeah absolutely and I guess we also saw over those 10 years the exit of a lot of the well, most banks from the energy markets as well. Yeah, and and they haven't they haven't really returned. And there was there was there was financial interest maybe more in LNG previously, even though it was an early stage of commoditization. Um, some of the banks we'd speak to, so they're very involved still in terms of research mm. and underpinning investment, um, yeah. but not on a trading perspective. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, probably I don't know about the number of participants. I imagine the TTF. You know, we're talking three figures probably, or in terms of number of companies that are active. It's a big pool, you know, LNG, everyone talks about more competitive market, but this, the barriers to entry are still very high. Mm. So companies can come in and get their fingers burnt if they don't have um, a strong maybe trade orientation or experience around mm. the market. So that's something that maybe hasn't changed. Mm. And, and because of the number of the mergers that we've seen on the sell and the buy side, um, you still have a limited pool of very, very big, super major kind of sellers and buyers and a flow of new entrants um, but you know maybe maybe not as fast as you you would expect to see or on other commodities and on an ice's point of view um, uh, I think it's fair to say that we we've got a real focus uh, we've had a real focus over the past few years towards being an analytics mm -hmm. company um, and that's been reflected in our editorial team and just in in terms of our being more and more analytical and forward-looking and data-driven in the types of in the type of content that we're putting out and we've got more tools at our fingertips as well that we can that we can use to do that um like lng edge that you mentioned earlier edge yeah i mean i think part of the challenge for us and other companies was when for the european the, the point where there was so much european data 
how do you aggregate that into a meaningful tool? Yeah. And obviously, like we've done that with with European pipeline flows, and mm. that's a challenge for. It comes to a point where there's so much data. How do you make something meaningful out of it? Yeah. And that's something that I've seen probably the last five years has become much more sophisticated in the company, isn't it? Now we've got this kind of banks of analysts and data mm. scientists who 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 can package that for us editorially, so we can use it at our fingertips. Um, and, and you know LNG Edge as you say again there's a lot of data in there it's just pulling it together so that you can show a trend mm. now like who's most likely to tender for a cargo um, you know US LNG trade flows how is that developing which markets that they go into mm. and so it's all well having this raw data but it's pulling it together and I think that's obviously something if you look at the makeup of our office now it used to be you know 10-15 editorial a few sales a couple of marketing and that was it. Whereas now it's 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 kind of arguably there's more analysts than editorial. So and if mm. you include our other offices, you know it's 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 much more sophisticated, necessarily a sophisticated team, isn't it? Yeah. So. And it and it and it comes out through the kind of coverage and the look, the makeup of our reports now. Like occasionally, um, when I'm doing research, I might find myself looking back at old Heron ESGMs or the early sort of ISIS Heron ESGMs. And the number of graphs you could probably count on, you know, one hand, and mm-hmm. that's completely changed in the last two, three years. Yeah. Um, and it's not just uh, static line and bar graphs, but increasingly interactive tableaus and all and all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a completely different sort of angle to our coverage as to what it was uh, it before. But the numbers are still right. They were right back <laughs> then, and they're right now. And you know, that still is. Yeah. top of the list isn't it really so That's we right. were good you know whether it was 10 years ago mm-hmm. 20 years ago when Patrick Heron started ESGM 25 years ago yeah. some things don't change yeah um, but things evolve and develop don't they yeah that's right yeah. that's yeah. right so magic question in 10 years from now do you think we'll be sitting down having the same discussion about prices being a 10 year low again or what, what's your view about what might be happening in 10 years time from now uh i guess in the energy markets ed you mentioned that like on a global level we just don't have the data uh fundamental data available that we do on a more localized level so maybe mm-hmm. yeah I, I think um i mean from a, I, from our own internal perspective obviously we're we're offering this combination of pricing analytics and and forecasting now terms of weather you know in terms of supply and demand um that that's the direction we're going in and having that combination is going to be vital i think to understand what's happening in the market i mean you look at lng it's a commodity it's cyclical we were oversupplied 10 years ago because the market changed by the time the new production started up we're oversupplied now because when prices go up new production is signed off by the time the production starts up cycles change so you know what in 10 years time I suspect we could be in a position where prices have gone up and the markets undersupplied and we're back over that hill and we're you know potentially um, oversupplied and on a low price environment but at some point again you know and I'm sure we're all aware as a company things are changing globally in terms of the energy mix and there's obviously pressures around you know fuel usage and that kind of thing yeah but will that filter through globally so i just think our our global Mm. understanding of the markets is going to get more important Mm. uh particularly in our coverage particularly in our content and and lng is interesting because 
we're, we're, we're looking at that now and developing it. So, But these big themes about price and commoditization, oversupply, undersupply, I mean, that's as old as time, isn't it, really? Yeah. So that will continue. Really. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that there are obviously big, broad questions around with uh, what gases role will or won't be come 2030, 2040, 2050. Um, and there are people who are far <laughs> in far better places to answer that than me. I think the interesting thing is maybe, although it's come a long way in 10 years, gas and energy and, and power markets are still, in terms of their maturity, still lagging behind a lot of commodity markets and also definitely equity equity markets. Um, so you could have a look at those to have an idea of um, where we might be and the, and the, and the the stories that have been going on in there has been increased digitization in terms of algorithmic trading, high frequency trading, mm. you know, what role will people have Blockchain. in deciding the price? Exactly. Mm. What role will people have in deciding the price and how much would it be mm. based on algorithms and software that, that people have made? And, you know, that uh, potentially is very exciting, but, you know, poses challenges as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's finish there for today. Um, uh, get back to uh, 2019 <laughs> in the office. And uh, thanks for listening. If you want to uh, subscribe to this Into the Newsroom podcast and continue getting glimpses of what it's what's the, the themes uh, of journalism that we look at day to day in our offices, you can subscribe on Spotify or iTunes and do go to isis.com to check out more of our coverage coverage and what we offer. 